The Man in Black. Bowie. I honestly thought that I would never tell this story. I thought for the longest time that I would take my memories and my experiences of and with the man in black to the grave. I never even told Neil about him. However, I did tell Layla, our daughter, when she was a little girl, all about the man in black. And about the morning when I was 15 years old, when I was waiting for the bus, when a man who I had never seen before in the flesh, who looked just like David Bowie, seemingly came out of nowhere and who brought a black cat back to life after it had been run over by a car. And a man who had also brought me back to life as well a few years later. And Layla believed every word, without question. And she even told me that Bowie, as I had called him for all intents and purposes, sounds like a really nice man. I told Layla all about Bowie, the man in black, when she was four years old. However, now she's 20. And every time I ask her about what I told her about him, she always replies, Who? The David Bowie? Or the Bowie who you made up stories about when I was a kid? Made up, I always say. It happened. He was real. Yeah, David Bowie was real. But you never met him, Layla once retorted. To which I replied, Wow, you sound just like your grandmother. And Layla does, worryingly. But... It is okay with me if she doesn't believe me now as she once did. Children grow up. However, not every child has a God looking out for them their entire life. So it is perfectly normal to believe something only to be the figment of someone else's imagination if you yourself had not lived the extraordinary life that I have lived. My name is Susie Elizabeth Eccleston. I'm 39 years old. Neil, my husband, and I still live in the same village where I grew up, in a beautiful little 18th century cottage that we are still in the process of moving into. While Layla, our beautiful daughter, is studying away from home at Cambridge University, and life is as good in every way as it could be. It was while I was sitting in the sun, in my garden, and listening to my music player, as I sat comfortably while enjoying and in awe of the feeling and of the sensation of the sun on my skin, when the next song began playing. Space Oddity by David Bowie. And that was when, for the first time in months, I thought about him. Bowie, the man in black. When I closed my eyes, there he was, looking back at me. However, he appeared different somehow, and slightly older in the face, but still the same man who I had been seeing over and over again throughout my life. Another difference that I noticed was that, where before he used to only wear black, now he was wearing white a white coat, white trousers. He even had almost white grey hair and he was wearing a black scarf around his neck that was tucked into his coat. Hello, I said in my internal voice, to which he said nothing. He just stood there, looking back at me with a smile on his face. As I imagined him in my mind, I smiled also, both on the inside and on the outside as well, and I hoped that he could see me smiling because I was seeing him again. It's been a while, I continued. Where have you been? I was expecting you so ten years ago, I said with a smile on my face, still with my eyes firmly closed. Been busy, I take it? I asked jokingly. However, not really expecting any kind of response. To be honest, it was just nice to see him again. Yeah, 
a lot of changes have been happening around these parts. Things that not even I thought would happen in my lifetime, nor Layla's for that matter. Hard to make sense of it. But the most surprising thing of all is that we, by that I mean the human race, planet Earth, are still here. You know, every time I see the face of the real David Bowie on an album cover or on a poster, I always smile. I always think to myself, hey, I knew him. Things really had changed. And I knew that if he were truly listening to me, then he would know how much things had changed better than I. I made the most of every second that I saw his face. So much so that I even believed that if I did not, then when I opened my eyes, I would never see him again. I secretly wondered if this was the same Bowie, my David Black, or just a random image created by my imagination. However, I surmised that if he truly were just a figment of my imagination, then why was I imagining him as if he were older in appearance than he had been the last time I had seen him? You know, when I think back, it's weird to think that you and I may never have met if it had not been for that cat trying to cross the road. I sometimes wonder whatever happened to that cat. Anyway, I have a feeling that I don't know a lot about what is going on all around me. Make that the world, the universe, heaven, hell, under my feet, above the clouds. I may never know. Which, to be honest, is fine and dandy with me. I suppose, on reflection, I don't really know if you were real or if you were just someone who I made up, who I based on David Bowie. I used to think I knew for sure who and what you were, as I have lived and gotten older, I've come to the ultimate conclusion that you are and you will always be my saviour. Whether real or imaginary, you saved my life and you continue to save my life every day. So, Bowie, my man in black, or should I call you my man in white? My friend, I just want to thank you again for being there for me. I would not be who and what I am now if it had not been for you. I knew that the moment had come for me to open my eyes again and say goodbye. It was a sad way for our story to end. However, I knew that it had to end. I knew that I was not yet ready to let Bowie go completely, but I also knew that I had to. Just as my eyelids flickered and I was about to open my eyes and let the beautiful golden daylight come flooding into my soul, that was when I saw a momentary flash of memory. However, not a memory of mine, but a memory of the man in black as he was when I first saw him. For an instant, I saw myself through his eyes on the day when I was standing and waiting at the bus stop when he brought the black cat back to life. What was that? I asked myself as I asked Bowie. And then, as I slowly opened my eyes wide again, and as I looked into the distance, as my eyes and my vision took a few moments to refocus, there he was, standing in my garden, dressed all in white with a black scarf around his neck, just as I had imagined him now to appear. However, as my vision fully cleared, he was gone again. And all that could be seen now where I saw him standing was the vibrant bright colours of the flowers of my garden. 
If you are listening to this, which you must be since you are, unless the text of this story is somehow being beamed into your mind somehow, I just want to say that I owe you a lot for taking the time to listen to my story. I wrote this story and I am retelling this story now because I need to. I really need to. My story about Bowie, the man in black, and what he did for me, and who he will always be to me. Who was he? Your guess is as good as mine. But to be honest, it doesn't matter, because to me, he was a lifesaver. He was a healer. He was a protector. He was, and he still is, a god to me, beyond all of my understanding. He, Bowie, will always be my man in black. The Black Cat As I write this, I must admit to feeling a little nervous. Why, I hear you ask? Well, in all honesty, I feel nervous about what I'm about to say because I've been waiting to tell this story for a long time. I've been waiting to tell the story of the most incredible man I've ever met in my entire life, all my life, you could say. I've been thinking about this man, I've been seeing this man, I've been with this man. I have had this man's name permanently fixed on the tip of my tongue every minute of every day in some form or another since I was a kid. I remember the first time I saw him as if it were yesterday. I was waiting for the 900 bus at the bus stop outside the stop and go convenience store in the small village where I lived all my life. I was 15 years old. And I was standing there with my headphones on listening to one of my favourite songs by one of my favourite bands, Ghost of You and Me by B.B. Mac. It was a mostly sunny day, I guess. There are a few clouds in the sky above, but for the most part the sun was shining. The temperature, however, was a chilly 10 degrees Celsius. It was cold, but it was the norm for an April morning in the middle of England. I even still remember what I was wearing hilariously. A blue stonewashed pair of jeans, a white t-shirt with a black and white photograph of another one of my favourite bands on it, Take That, which my auntie Babs had bought me for my birthday the month before. And I was also wearing my still pristinely coloured and almost glowing white Nike trainers, by which I mean my Nike sneakers, if there are any American readers reading this, which I had spent almost an good hour or so the day before cleaning every inch of down to the sole. I knew that I wasn't hip in terms of fashion sense, but I knew my own style, and I was determined to stick with that same style for as long as I could, no matter how old I was. Back when I was 15 years old, all I wanted was to stay 15 forever. A lot of things can happen to you when you are 15. I mean, a lot of things can happen to you at any time in your life, and they do, but 15, from my experience, which I know is not going to be the same as it would have been for anybody else, at the time was when, yeah, everything changed. And like I said, it all started to change while I was waiting for the 900 bus one slightly overcast but sunny morning in April when I was 15 years old. That was the day when this happened. 
I was looking to the other side of the busy main road at the bus stop outside the stop and go store where I was waiting for my bus and directly in front of me, sitting on the driveway of the house on the opposite side of the road, there sat a black cat with the biggest and the greenest eyes I'd ever seen in my entire life looking back at me. It was as if we were in the middle of a one girl, one cat staring contest. No matter what I did, it just kept staring at me. I looked away. It was still looking at me. I turned my head up to the sky and then down to my feet and then to the right to see if my bus was coming and then back to the other side of the road. And yet again, yep, you guessed it, they were still looking at me. I was almost getting a complex to tell you the truth. Did I look like a big monolith of tuna or something? I asked myself. Suffice it to say, this cat had a thing for me. And to this day, I still don't know what or who it saw when it was looking at me. But in the end, I hope that that cat learned the true meaning of the story about how curiosity killed the cat. Because, literally, that is exactly what happened next. From out of nowhere, and almost spontaneously, that same cat who was sitting there and staring at me for a good ten minutes or more, just suddenly decided to stand up and cross the road. And that was when it happened. BAM! A car came racing up the road and hit the cat before it could get to the other side where I was standing and the driver of the car did not even think to stop afterwards to see if the cat was alright. It was shocking. It was horrific. It was honestly and unbelievably upsetting. And had it not been for what happened next, I might well have been scarred for life by what I saw. What happened? More like, who happened? He happened. From out of nowhere, a man in his late twenties, I guess at the time, came from behind me and walked out into the road and he too was almost hit by a white van that just managed to swerve around him and continue driving down the road. He definitely looked late twenties that first time I saw him, or should I say, when he first appeared. He was wearing black jeans, a black shirt, a long black coat. His blonde hair was swept back and side parted to the right. And after he walked out into the road, he then crouched down where the now unmoving and lifeless looking cat now lay. As if he did not have a care in the world, save for this poor cat, and no fear at all for his life or his own safety. I swear to you, everything I'm telling you happened as clear as day and as I still remember it happening. In fact, everything about my story of this amazing man is the God's honest truth, and every word that I and he spoke to each other I still remember word for word as if it happened yesterday. As he crouched down, the man in black then reached down and picked up the lifeless body of the black cat, and still without any fear of any kind and without any reservation at all, he proceeded to kiss the cat on its forehead, and within a matter of seconds, the cat began to convulse. And just as the mysterious man in black walked to the other side of the road to where the cat had originated from, he sat them down back in the same spot where they had been sitting and staring at him. The cat then opened and closed its eyes again. However, it wasn't dead. Even from where I was standing, I could see that. I just stood open-mouthed and stunned and in shock by what I had just witnessed. I could see the cat. It was breathing and looked more like it was about to fall asleep. 
The man in black then crouched down again to rub the black cat on the head, and then he stood up and made a move to walk away, as if nothing had happened. And then he stopped. For a few seconds he just stood there on the other side of the road, on the pavement, with his hands in his coat pockets, just looking up to the sky above the rooftops of the nearby houses. He had his back slightly to me, so I could not see his face entirely, but even I could tell that he was smiling to himself for some reason, and that was when he suddenly turned around and looked directly at me. His green eyes almost glowed like that of the cats he had just saved, however not as feline-like. When he stared at me from the other side of the road, I could tell that he knew me somehow, even though I knew that I did not know him from Adam. And then I looked away just as my bus was fast approaching in the distance. I looked at my bus, but then I quickly looked back across the road to look at the man in black again. However, he was nowhere to be seen. The only thing that remained on the other side of the road was the now resting black cat, who seemed to have been given a fresh set of nine lives. My bus pulled up in front of me, and its double doors opened to reveal the bus driver waiting to accept my fare. But the thing was, I was still in shock. How could I not be? All I could think about was, who was that guy? What had just happened? I could not even remember where I was going, nor why I was going there. Everything had changed. Later on, when I got home, and while I was sitting in my bedroom thinking about everything that I had seen for the millionth time, I thought about telling the newspapers and getting a story written and published about the man in black who saved the black cat. But I didn't. I never got the bus. I never went to town. I never met up with my friends. I walked. And I walked. And then I walked some more. All morning. Until three o'clock that same afternoon when I finally returned home. And I was greeted by my mum who was doing the ironing in our living room while simultaneously watching an Australian soap opera called Neighbours on TV. She was addicted to that show, and to ironing also, as well as to the, all the other soap operas that she used to watch almost religiously from morning till night. When I walked into the living room, I was exhausted, out of breath, still in shock and I just allowed myself to fall down backwards onto the couch. My mum did not even bat an eyelid, and just continued to be glued to the TV screen. It wasn't until I burst into tears that she turned her head slightly to look in my direction. Bad day, babe? My mum asked, while still ironing and while still focusing as much of her attention on the television as she could, so as to make sure that she did not miss a second of the storyline that was being played out on the screen directly in front of her. You could say that, I replied, as I sat there on the couch and just stared out into space. I saw a cat get hit by a car and die, and then I saw the same cat brought back to life by a man in black as if nothing had happened, I said, as I described the thing that still continued to haunt my every waking thought. That's nice, babes, my mum replied instantly, still continuing to watch her soap opera on the TV. Mum! I screamed, as what she had just said finally sunk in after a couple of seconds, as I turned to look at her with a frown and with a feeling of genuine hurt. She never truly listened to me, 
especially not when she was watching her soaps. What? My mum replied as she turned away from the television screen finally to look at me while settling the iron down on my dad's white shirt that she was currently ironing. Did you hear what I said? I asked through a flood of tears. Of course I heard you. You, um, you... My mum replied in a distracted tone of voice as she picked up the iron that had been settled down on the white shirt before it could leave a scorch mark on it. You said something about a cat, didn't you? Mum, I saw a cat get killed, die, and then get brought back to life, I said in a shrill tone of voice, feeling as if I were a volcano on the verge of exploding. You saw a film about a cat that comes back to life? My mum asked as she turned over my dad's white work shirt while still continuing to appear to be focused on me. No, not a film. I actually saw this happen. I was waiting for the bus, just minding my business when, bam! A cat that was sitting across the road from me just bolted across and then got hit by a passing car. And then this guy just came from out of nowhere and walked out into the road, picked up this cat and then laid it down on its own four paws again. And the cat was fine. It was like a hallucination or something. It was like a dream, but it really happened. I swear to God. That cat got smushed when it got hit. And then a few seconds later, it was having a cat nap, I explained. However, even to me, it sounded a little far-fetched. And I was the one who actually saw it all happen. Was this guy good looking? My mum replied with a smile, before slowly turning her head and her attention back towards the TV again, while simultaneously folding my dad's white shirt and laying it down next to me, and then picking up another shirt from the clothes basket and began ironing it. Mum, I'm not making this up. I saw it all. And... To be honest, the guy that I looked like, I don't know, he looked, he looked, anyway, who cares what he looked like? He brought a cat back to life, unsmushing a very smushed black cat. I still can't believe it actually happened, but it did happen, I replied, as I repeatedly envisioned and relived the memory of the cat and its green eyes, the cat getting hit, and then the man in black, as if it's in slow motion. Maybe the cat hypnotised you somehow, my mum then randomly replied, to which I instantly rolled my eyes. Paul McKenna, he hypnotises people with the flick of a finger. Even the ancient Egyptians believed that cats are creatures of both life and death. They worship them like gods, you know, mum said with a smile and with raised eyebrows. I, however, was annoyed, but secretly impressed by my mum's insightful retort and explanation to my description of the events that I had witnessed involving the black cat and the man in black. I sat silently on the couch for a few moments, thinking about what my mum had said. You may have been daydreaming for you know, or hypnotised, like I said. By the cat? I accidentally screamed. Maybe, my mum replied with a smile. She still thought I was joking or describing a dream that I had had. I knew she did, but in all honesty, who could blame her? 
Would I believe someone if they told me a story like the one I just told my mum? Probably not. What if the cat had hypnotised me? No, I said aloud as my frustration exploded. The rest of the afternoon and the following evening also was filled with similar back and forth conversations between my mum and I. And we ultimately both came to the same unified opinion that whoever the man who I had definitely seen, who definitely came from out of nowhere and who definitely brought the black cat back from the dead, I was the only one who was 100% convinced was real. After finally having something to eat, a microwave pizza that my mum had made for me, and after finally climbing the stairs to my bedroom and then falling head first onto my bed, I was able to truly lie down and rest and think about everything again. I fell into the deepest sleep I'd ever had and I dreamed of something that until that day I had never dreamed of nor had ever imagined. I dreamed that I was a cat, but not the same cat as the cat that I had saw come back from the dead. No, I was a white cat. And how do I know that I was a white cat? Well, let's just say that nothing was left out of my imagination and I pretty much did what every cat does. Days came and went. The sun rose and the sun set more times than I could count before I ventured to think about the man in black again, the black cat, or the dreamlike day that I had had. The cat dream that I had dreamed was also never mentioned to anyone. I had this fear that if I told another living soul about any of what I had seen, both awake and in dreams, then they might think that I had gone mad. Then, one freezing December evening, while my parents and I were having a meal in a restaurant to celebrate my dad's birthday, something shocking and unexpected happened. A man and a woman were at a table at the far end of the restaurant from where we were sitting, but not too far away so that they could not be seen in full view, when the man suddenly started to convulse and shake. The entire restaurant began to panic and jump to their feet, and then, just as I was staring directly at the man who was obviously having some kind of attack or an allergic reaction, that was when, from out of the corner of my eye, I saw him walk into the restaurant and approach the man having the attack. Instantly, he reached out his right hand onto the right shoulder blade of the man who was sitting in his chair at the table as his companion looked on in horror. I could not believe my eyes. Him. Him. The man in black. Everybody was still looking at the man having the allergic reaction. Attack. I, however, could not take my eyes away from the man in black, who looked in every way just as he had the last time I had seen him, when he brought the black cat back from the dead and gave them another set of nine lives. I just wanted to run over to him. I wanted to yell at the top of my lungs, It's him! I wanted to take my mum's head in my hands and turn her attention towards the man in black. However, I did nothing but look on in complete fascination and in awe, with the biggest grin on my face. The man stopped convulsing almost immediately as soon as he had put his hands on him and when the man opened his eyes again and breathed deep and finally caught his breath the man in black then turned around and walked away and went to leave the restaurant. I could not contain myself nor restrain myself any longer from running after the man in black and following him straight out the door of the restaurant and outside into the street where he was waiting for me. 
He was looking straight at me as he stood directly in the middle of the road outside the restaurant with his hands in his coat pockets. Hello, said the man in black finally with a smile, after maybe twenty seconds of just silently standing there in the road. His voice sounded like I had expected it to. The closest comparison that I can come up with would be to say that he sounded like a cross between David Bowie and, well, David Bowie. He looked like David Bowie also. Hello, mysterious, strange, weird man in black who likes bringing cats back from the dead and scaring the living daylights out of people. One person in particular, actually, namely me. By the way, can I do something? I asked with a smile as I stared at him completely mystified and yet intrigued, still trying to figure out whether he was real or imaginary. Of course, be my guest. But before you ask me to bend down and before you slap me around the face to see whether I'm in fact real or imaginary, can I ask you something? Would you please try not to hit me so hard? He replied as if he had just read my mind, and as if he knew what I intended to do before even I knew what I was about to do. You were going to slap me around the face, were you not? He asked with a smile. Was I? Am I? Will I? I asked, as I took a slight back step away from him, while completely wide-eyed and awestruck. His hair, his face, blonde, fair-skinned, his eyes, his smell, blue, intoxicating. How do you know? Well, maybe not now, when you were originally going to, but soon, perhaps? Some things are inevitable. However, saying that, some things are not as inevitable. Well, not yet. Not until the time is right, of course. I couldn't hear anything, nor anyone else but him. His voice. His words. His face, his gaze was like something out of this world. Susie Elizabeth Eccleston, my face is at your hand's disposal whenever you need it to be, he said with a smile and with a slight bow of the head. How do you know my name? Have you been stalking me or something? Are you a private detective? A copper? A psychic? Were you the one who stole my bus pass when I was twelve? I asked with a grin as I rattled off all of the potential identities of the man in black that came to my mind at the time. Maybe, replied the man in black without hesitation. Maybe what? I replied with a confused look on my face. Maybe I am who you think I am and maybe I am not, he replied with a smile. Maybe you are and maybe you aren't what? You can't possibly be all of the things and all of the people who I said you might be all at once, I replied, believing that he was just having a bit of fun with me here and wanted me to discover who he was after I had chased him around the houses, so to speak. Why not? Why can't I be any or all of the potential people who you think I am at the same time? Because that would be weird. Because that would be creepy. Because that would be insane. Because that would be, well, not possible, I explained as I fought off the sensation to burst out laughing. But what if that were the case? 
What if I could be someone else at the exact same time that I am the man who you see before you? Just as you are someone else, as well as being someone else, he replied with a riddle, which I was sure he wanted to use only to confuse me more than I already was. What? You don't even know me from Belinda down the road, apart from you know my name. And how do you know that again? Riddle me this, Mr. Riddler. How can someone know someone else if they have never met before? Also, how can a man bring a man, not to mention a cat, back to life like it was nothing and without even breaking a sweat? You really want to know? Now? Here? He asked as he stood in the road in almost complete darkness save for the shine of the streetlights on his head and his sparkling eyes. Yeah. I really want to know, I replied with a smile and with my arms folded out in front of me and with a slight tilt of my head. But what if I'm not yet ready to tell you, he asked with a similar smile to my own, with his arms folded out in front of him and with his head tilted slightly to the side also, as if mocking my current stance. Some things and some people should be kept secret for as long as they possibly can he said, as he unfolded his arms and he began to walk backwards across the road, not even looking in either direction for any oncoming traffic that may be approaching. I, however, looked in both directions, left and right, over and over again, but I did not see anything nor anybody. My reckoning at the time was that he either did not know the Green Cross code on how to cross a road, or he did not need to. What the hell are you doing? What if someone comes out of nowhere and knocks you down? I asked with genuine terror written all over my face. Susie, listen to me. I want you to really listen and understand what I'm going to tell you. I heard the man in black shout from the other side of the road where he was now standing directly opposite from me. I'm listening. But why do you have to be on the other side of the road to ask me this? What I am sure is a very important question, I replied as I too shouted across the road and made sure to listen to every word that he spoke and commit them to memory as if they were a part of me. Things are about to change. The world, you, in ways that nobody could ever be ready for. But the thing is, what is going to happen has to happen. Ripples in a pond that will come to be because of a drop in the ocean of life and the universe that happened a long time ago. The entire planet will go through a time of uncertainty, but everybody will get through it, and everything will be alright. I promise, explained a still smiling man in black. Okay, I replied with a confused expression on my face, having little to no understanding of what he was telling me and why it mattered. Anything else? I asked. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to live your life. It's okay to be yourself. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Believe me, everything will be okay said the man in black, just before the number 42 raced past and momentarily obscured my view of him for a few seconds, before disappearing and seemingly taking the man in black with it, because he was no longer on the opposite side of the road where he had been standing on the pavement. 
I was disappointed. However, I was not surprised that the man in black had disappeared and he had with such dramatic flair. I stood there in silence for a few minutes, turning over and over in my mind what the man in black had just told me. I had no idea whatsoever what he had meant by what he had said to me, but even then I knew that he had told me all that he had for a reason, perhaps as some kind of warning. I knew that this time, just as the last time, would not be the final time that I would see the mysterious man in black, and believe me it wasn't, far from it but I had no idea when nor where that next meeting would take place. And what happened next, the when and the where the man in black re-entered my life, I am only now finally fully recovered from. I stood looking across the road to the spot where the man in black had been standing for a few minutes more before I sighed. I smiled and then I turned around and I re-entered the restaurant and I was reunited with my mum and dad. It wasn't long afterwards that the world did change, just as the man in black had prophesied. What happened? Well, this happened, as a matter of fact. I died. The luck stops here. September 11, 2001 happened. The world changed. The world shuddered violently. Lives were lost on an unimaginable scale. And I? I lost my dad. My dad wasn't in either of the World Trade Center towers or even in New York City or on any of the planes that were used as weapons of mass destruction. However, he might as well have been. My dad died of a heart attack while he was driving himself to pick up his brother, my uncle Bill, from the airport. He ended up crashing into another car and flipping his car over onto its roof somehow. Most people remember September 11, 2001 or 9-11 as the day that the world came to a standstill following what felt like a worldwide terrorist attack. But I will always remember it as the day that my world and my family's world came crumbling down. It was excruciating. It was soul-destroying. It was heartbreaking. My mum and I were never the same after my dad died. It was impossible to ever go back to how things were because to us and to everybody who knew him, my dad was the one who was always there when he was needed and he would do anything for anybody. I would sit up in bed for days and nights just continuously crying. My mum would stay up all through the night and drink and then she would sleep all day long. More than once I hoped and I prayed that I could reach out and find the man in black who I had seen bring a cat back from the dead and who had saved a man from dying both right in front of me. But for all my hopes and prayers he never once paid me a visit. It was maybe a month after Dad died that I started putting into words how I was feeling into notebooks and I even started to listen to more dark music, as my friends at the time called it. However, to me, the music that I was listening to wasn't dark at all. To me, it was honest and heartfelt, and it was echoing exactly what I was feeling and going through physically and emotionally. 
I admit that at the time I did do things to myself that I regret doing now. But each time I did it, it was exactly what I needed to do so that I could feel something. Anything but numb. I needed to release what was inside of me that I felt like it was burning me alive from the inside out. It was the April the 21st, 2003, while I was out with friends at an all-night rave called The Luck Stops Here. Just as I was sitting down at a booth in the club where the rave was being held, that the shadow of someone fell upon me. And as I stared up at who was standing over me, though for a moment or two I was too intoxicated to clearly recognise their identity until they reached out their right hand to touch me on the shoulder, that was when the club, the rave, the rest of the world came to a standstill and time stopped and everything went from deafeningly loud to unbelievably silent. And within seconds my head cleared completely as I looked up and stared directly into the eyes of the man in black, who looked just as he had on the two previous times that I had seen him in the flesh. When he opened his mouth and he said, Hi Susie, to me. I almost immediately broke down in tears. Why? I said finally, after what seemed like minutes of me rubbing my eyes and spreading my black mascara all over my face. I must have looked like the oddest and most anorexic panda that anyone would have ever seen in their entire life. Though he did not reply instantly, I knew that he knew what I was asking and why. I did not say anything further until I stood up from the booth of the club and I was guided by the man in black out of the rave and past everybody else who still remained frozen in time and almost like statues being held in place by a stream of energy that resembled an infinite rainbow of colour. When we were finally out in the street, outside the club, the man in black took off his long black coat and threw it around me and we walked through the darkness of the night. Why? I asked again, as I walked alongside the man in black down Churchill Street towards Lennon Park. I felt like I was dreaming or hallucinating at first, especially since the man in black did not respond immediately to my question. I was so overwhelmed with emotion and confusion that I could not for a second make sense of anything that was happening even now, I could not fully describe how lost I felt at that moment. And then, he spoke. I know that you want answers. I know that you have been through a lot over the last few years. And I know that you want to know who I am. But Susie, you are not yet ready to know some things. I know that you are in pain. I know that you hoped and prayed that I might return sooner and maybe even help you come to terms with the tragic loss of your father. I'm so sorry that you lost your dad, Susie. I really am. But I'm here now to remind you of something important, said the man in black, as I sat down on a bench in Lennon Park next to him, me still cloaked in his long black coat. The finish line is also the starting line of a race. Birth and death go hand in hand. Losing something or someone helps us find other things. In other words, 
if you keep going in a particular direction without deviation, then there will come a day when you will find yourself exactly where you began and starting something all over again. Life is tentative. Happiness can quickly turn into sadness and vice versa, said the man in black as he put his right arm around me and he held me tight to try and settle me down as tears again fell from my eyes one after the other. When you are a child, you cannot quantify death and what it means. But you know that the worst thing in the world that could ever happen to you would be to lose your parents. And even the thought of such a possibility is more frightening than any nightmare that a child might have. Sometimes children say things to their parents. Things that they quickly take back and feel unbelievably guilty about saying. However, the simple act of saying something out loud is incredibly powerful. More so than I think people realise. And in turn, like a voice in a tunnel, it creates echoes. The man in black was trying his best to explain to me the groundwork of the entire universe, but at the time, nothing sunk in. However, after the fact, and even now, I still remember every word that he said as if they were the pieces of a puzzle that I could put together now and forever without even thinking. Most people dream and wish for things to happen, and nine times out of ten, whatever someone dreams of or wishes for does not come to pass exactly as they had envisioned it would. And then there are people like you who are special, shall we say. People who are not like the vast majority of the world. People who share a connection and who have a power within them to influence the world. In other words, you can create your own bubbles and echoes of reality by just thinking something and in turn change the colour of the fabric of the world. As I sat listening to his Davy Bowie-esque sounding voice, it was at this time that all I wanted to do was fall asleep on the man in black's shoulder. But I couldn't, even if I wanted to, because I was being prepared for a journey without even knowing it. And then I mustered up a question from deep within me, one that I had been waiting to ask since I saw the man in black bring the black cat back to life. Am I going to die? Everybody dies, the man in black immediately replied. Are you the angel of death or something? I asked. The man in black laughed. More like the angel of life, he replied with a smile as he looked down at me, cuddled up next to him. Are there others like you? I asked as a sudden shiver came over me and made me momentarily shake myself out of the man in black's embrace. Just as there is only one of you, there is only one of me. However, there are others who share the same skin tone, you could say, the man in black replied, as he made sure that his black coat was still covering me enough to keep me sufficiently warm and unable to completely feel the biting cold of the twilight air of the morning. Why do I keep seeing you? Are you here to save me too? I asked, as a new possibility popped into my head as to why I kept seeing the man in black. Like the black cat? Like the man in the restaurant? It was then that I turned and looked him straight in the eye. Susie, I already have, said David Bowie. I mean, 
the man in black, who looked the spitting image of David Bowie now more than ever, and as if his answer had been teetering on the tip of his tongue for as long as we had known each other. How? When? I asked, as another tear rolled down my face. Just then, in the club, when you died, and I brought you back to life, the man in black replied immediately with a wide-eyed look of enthusiasm and self-assurance. What? I said internally, however so loudly that I thought that even he might be able to hear. Pardon? What? What the hell? I asked, as my eyes grew wide, as I lifted myself up from the bench slightly and looked down at the still comfortably seated man in black. Oh, I'm quite serious, Susie. You died. Well, you died for what might only measure as a second linearly. I always knew when and where it would happen, even before the instant that I first saw you and you saw me step out into the road from behind you. I knew one day that I would be the one who was meant to save you. The man in black got up from the bench and then he stood with his hands in the pockets of his trousers looking down at me and as I looked back at him with eyes as wide as coffee mugs. Wait a minute. What? I died? Don't you think that if that had happened I might, you know, know it? I asked with a look of total confusion on my face. Since when do people know that they have died until they are told that they have? The man in black replied. Some people, you for example, die, but are brought back to life before they know they have died. The man in black explained, as a stomach full of anger began to erupt within me. Hang on. Hang on. Hang the hell on. What? Is this another one of your riddles? Because if it is, then I'd rather go back into the club with my friends, I said, as I stood up from the bench and allowed the man in black's coat to fall onto the ground behind me. I was now standing eye to eye with him, as a million and one questions ran through my mind, and as every emotion known to man surged through every fibre of my being. You are not going anywhere, Susie, said the man in black with a smile. Oh yeah? Watch me, I said with a grimace, as I began to walk away from the man in black and out of Lennon Park. Susie, wait! The man in black shouted, before he took a hold of my right forearm from behind me and turned me around on the spot. I immediately broke away from his grip and pushed him away from me. Get away from me! Who the hell do you think you are? I snapped with anger in my voice. You turn up now after all this time and you think you can tell me what to do? And you spout all this crap about you saving me? You are not an angel. You are nothing. And I don't care who you look like. You are no David Bowie. I said, almost screaming into the man in black's face. And then I started to walk away again. What? The man in black shouted from behind me. You heard me, I replied as I quickened my walking pace. Susie, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry about your dad. He was a good man, the man in black shouted, as a response to which I was instantly stopped in my tracks. I still continued to face the opposite direction from the man in black, 
but I could still feel him and I could still see his face in my mind's eye. Who the hell are you? I mean it. If you don't tell me right now what game you are playing with me and with my family, then I'm going to turn around and stick my size 6 high heels so far up where the sun doesn't shine that you will never sit down straight again. I replied with a heartbroken tone of voice, tinged with an almost murderous rage. Earlier today, you and your friends were hanging out, as how I believe the term goes, and you each ingested the white line of a drug called cocaine. One hour ago, in the women's bathroom of the club you were just in, you and your friend locked yourselves in just long enough to snort some more cocaine, which in turn narrowed and decreased the levels of oxygen to your heart and would have ultimately led to you having a heart attack had I not intervened when I did. The man in black's voice boomed as if I had two speakers next to my ears and his voice was all that I could hear. I found you. I purified you. I gave you more life. I saved you from yourself. The man in black was now standing directly behind me, so close that I could almost feel his breath on the back of my neck. It was your friend's idea. She will soon become addicted to something far worse than drugs, and she too will have her own moment of death. However, I do not know how many more days she has left, nor whether she will be saved also. Your friend, Rebecca will soon become addicted to death itself, and that addiction is harder to break free of, more so than any drug, and especially when you lose everything that matters the most to you, the man in black explained quietly, as he slowly walked around me in circles. Becca, I said in a whisper, you can't save her, and nor can I. If she is to be saved, then I cannot tell you how or when, but what I do know is that the way that she responds to the things that have happened to her and the way that she will respond to the things that have yet to happen to her are all based upon where her life began, her upbringing, her family, her heart, just as yours is and has always been. This is insane. I feel like since my dad died that the entire world has just fallen apart and it just continues to fall apart. I wish I could tell people just how much I don't want to be here anymore, I said through a flood of tears as I stared at the man in black standing right in front of me. And then there's you, I said with frustration in my voice. Your whole disappearing act, your whole riddle me this garbage. And you telling me that you brought me back to life before I even had a chance to die? Susie, I know. I've always known. That is why I'm here. I've always known that I was going to save you from yourself. I've been watching you from the shadows since the day you were born. You had a full head of hair when your mother gave birth to you. The man in black explained as he looked at me and almost appeared to be staring right through me as if he had x-ray vision as well as the vision to be able to look straight into my soul. You have more to do. You have more life to give. 
you have more people to meet. And though you may not see me, I am always with you and watching you from a distance, at the same time that I am standing one step behind you. I just ask you to do one thing for me. Go home. Go to bed. Dream and then get up in the morning and do what you must do. And no matter how much you may want to, do not look back over your shoulder too much. Because if you do, then you may not see what is right in front of you and what you need to find. It was then that the streetlights and the illuminated signs began to flicker rapidly and I knew who was responsible. I knew that he was readying himself to disappear from my life again until the next time. And when I closed my eyes and then opened my eyes again, I expected the man in black to have disappeared, and he had. However, the person who I now saw standing right in front of me, although their appearance from out of nowhere was a complete and utter surprise, was one of great joy and one that made me smile. That was the instant that I first saw Neil. The gods are angry. The first time I saw Neil, he was waiting for the 101 bus, the night bus on George Road at what must have been one o'clock in the morning, and he was the first person I saw after the man in black had disappeared again. The man in black, the same man who I'd been seeing over and over again since I was a child, and who bore a striking resemblance to David Bowie, so much so that in my mind, instead of referring to him as the man in black, I simply called him Bowie. Neil had just got off work. He worked in a car factory where they made these huge 4x4 vehicles that, when fully assembled, were sold for more money than Neil could earn in a year. Neil liked his job. He used to tell me that it is just like building a car made out of Lego, just with more wires, more glass and with more than a thousand different bolts and things that were designed and built individually, but were designed and made so that they could work in unison with something else. Neil was smart. He still is. Neil was incredibly passionate about everything, and though to me his job sounded very robot-like and mechanical, I was still incredibly impressed by how Neil described what he did for a living. When he and I were waiting for the night bus, and when we rode it together, Neil and I instantly began smiling and talking to each other. At the time, for all I knew, Neil could have been someone up to no good, especially at that time in the morning, and initially, I confess, that thought might have crossed my mind. However, there hasn't been a day and a night since we first met that we have spent together when I have not looked at him and fell in love with him over and over again. He was, and he still is, the kindest and the sweetest man I have ever known. A week after we first met, under the illumination of the streetlights of George Road, Neil and I had our first official date. A month after, Neil and I were engaged. We even returned to the same spot where we first met and we both first laid eyes upon one another. And that was where Neil proposed to me. A year after, Neil and I were living together and expecting our first child, Layla. It was five years after Neil and I first met that we, Neil, Layla and I, went on holiday to Florida. 
We were all staying in the same room at the Comfort Inn Hotel in Florida when one early morning in September I left Neil and Layla sleeping in our bed in our hotel room and I went out to the swimming pool to take a walk and to go for an early morning swim. However, when I arrived at the swimming pool, that was when I saw a familiar face laying down on one of the sun loungers and reading a worn out copy of A Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking. Still wearing both the same face that was the spinning image of David Bowie and also the same black attire that he had been wearing every time that I had seen him since I was a girl. Some things never change and neither do some people, namely the man in black or Bowie as I had begun to call him more recently. Although there was definitely something different about him this time around. Long time no see, David. I said with a smile as I cast a shadow over him as he lay. He never moved a muscle. Hey, Bowie, you reading or you sleeping? Still no response. It was then, still with a smile on my face, when I decided to play along and sit down next to the man in black on the sun lounger to his right. And it was as I sat down as, as I looked at him as he lay on his lounger, awake and seemingly reading, that I reached out and touched him on the forearm and I said, Thank you. Thank you? He replied immediately, however quietly. For what? He asked, still looking at his Stephen Hawking book. You know, I replied with a smile, as I recalled in my mind the last time that I had seen him before he had disappeared before my eyes on George Road back in England just before I first laid my eyes on Neil, on a night that I could not and would never forget for the world. That night, which was to slightly paraphrase Charles Dickens' most famous quote from one of his most memorable stories, A Tale of Two Cities, the best of the times and the worst of times. No thanks needed. He replied with a smile, before finally lowering his book to allow the sun to shine on his face. And that was a long time ago, he said in a downbeat tone of voice, like I had never heard him speak before. I was worried for some reason. He was different. It has been a while. Where have you been? I asked, still with a smile on my face so as to not show any kind of worry on my part as I tried to analyse his face and figure out what was noticeably bothering him. Oh, I've been around. I've been busy, you could say. Did you miss me? He asked with an awkward smile as he spoke. However, he continued to stare up at the blue sky above. Of course I did. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. If I knew you were here, we would have come sooner. I replied with a wide smile and a spark of joy in my eyes. I had missed him, and I had wondered many times over the last five years if and when I would ever see him again. Huh. Yeah, that is the funny thing about time, I guess. Once it's gone, you can't get it back. Five years? Really? If I told you how long it had been for me since the last time I saw you, it would probably make your eyes water. Even more than they already are, he replied in a more apologetic tone of voice now. How long has it been? There can't be that much of a time difference. You haven't aged a day. 
Appearances, like most things, can be deceiving, Susie. Asking how long it has been is like asking, why do we fall in love? Why is time different for me than it is for you? Well, because I age very slowly, as does the universe. However, things happen in the universe at an accelerated pace than how they are perceived, especially from far away. His voice, his face, his eyes. Bowie, I said to myself. I was completely entranced, and in all honesty, I did not realise all that he was saying until a long time after. There was a sudden overcast of dark grey clouds that slowly came together above our heads, and within minutes the sky that had been an unbroken blue sky was almost as black as the night sky or the colour of the man in black's clothes. The sound of thunder then echoed from every direction. I looked around and above with an intensely worried expression on my face at what was happening. He must be doing this, I thought. This wasn't a normal storm that Florida was periodically known for. And then, my friend, the man in black, said something that sent a shiver down my spine worse than I had ever felt the sensation of before. The gods are angry. They're coming. They're coming for you. Why? I asked with a frown, and a little taken aback. Because I saved you. Because I saved all the people I have saved over the centuries. Because I was born with a power, but told not to use that power. And because saving all of the lives that I have saved has created ripple effect after ripple effect that have changed the very face of the universe more times than even I know, apparently. Which, if true, and it is, I'm pretty proud of that, actually. You shouldn't be here, and neither should I, replied the man in black, as he sat up on the sun lounger and then turned around while still seated to face me. After every time that I saved someone, I was punished. I was taken to a place, an interstellar deserted island, you could say, and I was left there until I was deemed ready to return to reality, so that I could observe and interact with the physical universe, meet people and learn from life, but never interfere. Even we, my kind, never stop learning, and life and people are always surprising us. I've always believed in second chances third chances, a million chances, and I am not, and I have never been, someone who has played by the rules. I always believe that if you let things happen naturally, then everything will turn out better than it would than if you were to follow a plan or a blueprint. Seeing the man in black as he was now, with his head down and an expression of sadness on his face, almost brought me to tears. I know that I've been asking you this question for a long time, but with everything that is happening, I really need to know. Who are you? What is going on? And what the hell is coming? I asked, slightly agitated, as I thought of Neil and Layla still sleeping in our hotel room with no idea of what was happening. I am me. I am who you see. I'm not David Bowie, even though, as you say, I do bear a striking resemblance to him, the man in black replied with a smile like that of a sad clown. But, essentially, 
I'm someone who wants everyone to live forever. I guess my biggest flaw is that I hate saying goodbye. I get incredibly attached to people, like you, Susie. And I want you to know something, Susie. You are not going anywhere but back to your room and back to your wonderful family. But what is going on? I asked instead of complete and utter confusion. You said that you saved my life, and to me, you literally did. But I don't understand. Why me? Why me and not my dad? Why some people and not all? I'm guessing that you are unbelievably powerful. I don't know if you are an angel or a god of some kind. Sounds to me like you decided to play god because you could, without ever thinking about the repercussions. I don't want to sound ungrateful or sound judgmental, especially as someone who saved my life. But as someone who has lost people who they have loved more times than I can remember, and as someone who went through a period of self-hate, self-abuse and addiction, and who has come through the other side, I can tell you that you have a problem. You said it yourself, you hate saying goodbye. If you had your way, no one would die. And even though the last time I saw you, I gave you the hardest time about not being there to save my dad, Looking back and having lived the life I have lived has taught me that everything, every life and every death happens for a reason. It hurts to lose people. It hurts like nothing else when you have to watch a loved one slip away. But it is what has to happen, I said, with as much passion as I could bring to the surface and with every word exploding from my mouth as if... They were the true music of both my mind and my heart. A single tear fell from my right eye. I've been waiting a long time to say that, and I've been waiting a long time to realise that. It was then that the heavens opened, literally, you could say, and it began to rain down on the man in black and myself. You're right, Susie. You're right said the man in black with a smile that told me so much and which meant so much to me before he closed his eyes and he dropped his head to the ground. This might be it. This might be when I take my final curtain call. The man in black then stood up, now completely soaking wet by the falling rain, as was I, and he patted himself down and ruffled his hair. And you know what? I don't mind at all. If this is the place, and if this is the time, where and when I have to finally say goodbye, then I am happy. Because I am here with you, Susie, said the man in black with a smile, as he opened his eyes again, and he looked longingly at me. The same exact smile as the first smile that I ever saw him wear when I watched him from the other side of the road while I was waiting for my bus at the bus stop in my home village. You said they were coming for me, I replied, as I too stood up and stared the man in black straight in the eye. No, I'm the one they want. I'm the one who won't and I am the one who can't stop changing the world. I'm the one who has to be stopped once and for all. But, like I said, it's okay. And if I were to be reborn, and if life were to be reset from how I had made it to be, then if given the choice to do it all again, or not, 
then I know that I would still make the same choices and do all that I did over and over again. Every life is worth saving. Nobody deserves to die needlessly. If you have the power to do something good, then why would you not? The man in black continued to smile before he turned and walked towards the swimming pool and stared at his own reflection in the water that was constantly being distorted by the falling raindrops and by the ripple effects that were created and affecting the surface of the water more times than could ever be counted. The man in black turned around to face me again before smiling and then closing his eyes and allowing himself to fall backwards into the pool of water behind him. The man in black disappeared from view instantly, and when I ran over to the swimming pool in a state of horror and alert to try and see if he was alright, I discovered that he indeed had disappeared, body and all, from the face of the earth. He was gone. The rain continued to fall for a few minutes longer, as I continued to just stand and stare, almost entranced by the ripple effects on the swimming pool's watery surface before the rain stopped completely. And even after the rain shower had ceased, I still remained standing over the swimming pool looking into the water, as if trying to capture a final glimpse of the man in black, Bowie, my friend. I broke down in tears. I fell to my knees. I was inconsolable. I felt like I had lost my dad all over again, even though I knew that the man in black wasn't my dad, I guess. To me, he was always a father figure, as well as a mysterious, enigmatic, powerful friend. I returned to our hotel room after about another 30 minutes of crying and staring. Neil and Layla were still sleeping soundly. As I climbed back into bed, it was as if nothing had happened. However, I knew different. I always do. I always did. I always have. And I always will remember the man in black.